Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. As we continue in our series on the names of God. Hopefully, as we go through each of these names, you're learning something about the character of God and the nature of God and how he's revealed himself through these names, ultimately how he's revealed himself through Christ and how all these names correspond to who Jesus is. And again, if you don't know Jesus by faith, I urge you today to place your faith and your trust in him. It can be a frustrating thing to feel unseen, unnoticed, or unheard. Uh, if you have kids, and my four kids attest, even the little baby kid can attest to the fact that they want to be seen and they want to be heard. And Isaac's gotten into this thing now where if he's talking about something or looking at something or pointing at something and I'm not looking right at what he's talking about, he's, he's starting to take my face and, and turn it for me and say, no, over there or whatever it is. And uh, you all know that um, the, the volume increases, right? It starts off with daddy. Daddy, Daddy, and then Isaac goes into this full alarm screeching sound trying to get my attention. We all from little kids know that it's frustrating to feel unseen or unheard, whether it's little children like Isaac or Anna or Lily or Haddon, or if it's you at work or at school with your friends, to feel like your opinions, your thoughts, your heart is heard. Because there's something about being seen and being heard that means you're cared for, that means you're loved. As your kids want to see you look into their eyes when they're talking to you, but they won't look into your eyes when you're talking to them. But they want to know that you're listening because they want to know that they're loved and heard and cared for. And with God, sometimes I think we can convince ourselves that he does not see or that he does not hear, that he doesn't know, he doesn't notice us. Wednesday nights, we've been talking about trusting God and God's control over the big things and God's control over the little things. And we did a survey a couple Wednesday nights ago about how hard it is to trust God. And I asked, is it harder to trust God in the big things in life, or do you find it harder to trust God in the everyday, mundane, small things in life? And it's interesting that the vast majority of the people there said it's harder to trust God in those small, everyday, mundane things in life. Why? Because we think they're too small. And God is not interested, and God doesn't see, God doesn't care, he doesn't notice those small things. It's hard to think of God knowing and seeing everything and anything about us, isn't it? Throughout our lives, every day, at work, at school, events in our lives, we can convince ourselves that something is too big for God to be able to fix or do, or something is too small for God to be able to notice. And if we're not careful, we can stop relying on him in those minutes, those moments, the big ones, the small ones, and everything in between. We can stop praying. We stop worshiping. Maybe we even stop believing. Well, today, the name that we're going to discover is this name, El Roy, which means the God who sees 
or the God who sees me? And as we discover this name, maybe we'll see something here about the character of God. And in the story, a God who sees and who knows and who hears everything from the biggest moments in our lives to the smallest, most insignificant, seemingly, moments in our lives. I said Genesis 17. That was last week. I actually meant Genesis 16. So look over to the left, just one chapter, and we're going to begin in verse 7 of Genesis 16. The angel of the Lord found her. By a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand shall be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, El Roy. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bared. Let's pray together. God, our Father, this is your inerrant, inspired, and infallible word. Help us today as we look at this story and discover this name together to know that you know us, that you hear us, and that you see us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you know a little bit of your Old Testament history and the story that's led up to this moment, you know this is a complex story where we find ourselves in the middle here with Abram and Sarai and Hagar and Ishmael, seems like something that we would see on daytime television, like Mari or Springer or whatever trash we uh, divulge ourselves in. Hagar is a servant of Abram, servant of Sarai, a slave from Egypt. And Abram and Sarai have been made a promise. You'll bear a son, he shall uh, be your offspring, and from him shall come many nations, and a blessing to all the nations shall come through him. And Abram and Sarai have taken it on themselves to sort of help God out in this moment. Abram's old, Sarai is old, they don't believe the promise, and so in order to help God out and try to make this thing happen on their own, they've brought in this slave girl, Hagar. And Hagar conceives by Abram and turns against Sarai. All those feelings that we see on the daytime soap operas well up in Hagar and Sarai. And Sarai begins to treat her harshly because her servant has risen up against her. And as Sarai begins to treat her harshly, Hagar flees into the wilderness, flees into the desert. You imagine being so desperate and so alone and being so mistreated and used and abused and tired that there's nowhere else seemingly to go except to run headlong into the wilderness. And that's where she's going. Until verse 7, God finds her. The angel of the Lord found her. And in verse 8, the angel asks her this question, where are you going? Where have you come from? And where do you think you're going? And in verses 10 through 12, the angel makes this stunning promise to Hagar. We're familiar with this language by now aren't we? I will bless you. I will multiply your offspring. I'll raise a great nation after you. Except to this point, it's been Abram's promise and Sarai's promise. And we know that promise goes to Isaac and to Jacob. But now we have this weird offshoot and God makes the same promise to this young servant girl, Hagar. 
I will bless you and multiply you, and you shall bear a son that will be a father to many nations. And Hagar's response in verse 13 introduces us to this name. You are a God of seeing, or you are the God who sees me. El Roy. And it's a play, she says next on this phrase, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. I will call you the God who sees because in this place I have seen you and I know that in seeing you, you see and you care for me. And then she names this well, Bir Lahai Roy, literally the well of the living one who sees me. You hear that there in the middle, don't you? Lahai, El Kayim, life. This is the well of the living God who, Roy, who sees me. To this point in the story, Abram and Sarai, everybody important, quote unquote, everybody important in the story that we've been um, cultured by now to think these are the important people. Abram, Sarai, Isaac, Jacob, all that story. All those people to this point have been willing to throw Hagar away. And she has nowhere to go, no one to turn to, running into the desert where there is nothing, and she encounters this God. And here's the first thing this name teaches us today, this God who sees. Obviously, number one, God sees. That's the basic definition of this name, El Roy, the God who sees, or the God who sees me. If you can imagine Hagar's feelings to this point, she must feel invisible, used, traded, mistreated. In the opening verses of this chapter, we see Hagar spoken about, we see Hagar spoken over, but we don't see Hagar spoken to. And so that's dehumanizing. We know to this point from creation that all of these people are image bearers of God. And although he makes this special promise with Abraham and Sarah and their offspring, all of them are image bearers. And here is one of these image bearers being treated as an object. Worst of all, an object used to try and fulfill God's plan by sinful human hands. Hagar's caught in the middle. Worse, her child is caught in the middle. They're pawns, throwaways, unwanted, unloved, not part of this big story. What a difference all that information makes then when we come to verse 7 and in her running and in her fleeing, God finds her. And God speaks to her. And God makes a promise to her and to her child. A response unlike anyone else to this point in Hagar's life, at least that we know. And she says, now I know God sees me. No one else has seen me to this point. No one else has cared. No one else has loved me. No one else has known me or my child. But God sees me. God knows me. I want you to know this morning, church, that God sees you, even if you feel that no one else does. You here today might be literally abused, mistreated, unloved. Maybe that's been part of your upbringing part of a painful past with your parents or grandparents or friends or relatives. Maybe, sadly, you've even been abused and mistreated and hurt by church people. If you notice the story here, if we were to put that into modern terms, Abraham and Sarai are the church people mistreating this poor slave girl, Sarai. 
Maybe you find yourself this morning running, fleeing, maybe physically, maybe mentally and spiritually and emotionally fleeing from that abuse, fleeing from that mistreatment into hiding with nowhere else it seems to go except into the wilderness, into the desert, running from your family, running from your friends, running from your situations. Maybe here even this morning you find yourself running from God. God sees you. You are not invisible to him. You may feel invisible to everyone else in your workplace, in your family, in your life, amongst your friends, maybe even in your own family. But God sees you. And maybe here this morning you think your suffering and your pain and your trials and your situation are unimportant to this great and holy and majestic God. And you say, God doesn't see me. God doesn't see this. God doesn't care about this. No one does. Consider this young Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, foreign, pagan, not part of this story, not part of this covenant, and yet God sees her. Not just the situation, not just her pain, not just her sorrow, God sees her. God sees you today. He sees your pain, your stuff, all the mess that is in your life, all the mess-ups. He sees you running. He sees and he cares. And if you would just stop running away for a moment and run to see this God who is ready and watching and waiting for you, you would know that he will receive you. You may think yourself today or your situation to be invisible, unheard, uncared for, but not to God. Old gospel song says, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. God sees. Number two today, God knows. Hagar Hagar finds herself in a story much bigger than she could ever imagine. It's a story bigger than her. It's a story bigger than Ishmael. It's a story bigger than Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, for that matter. These covenants, these promises. We're talking about nations. Eternity is found in these covenants. Hagar here is caught in the middle, but it's not just her. It's her child, Ishmael. And God's promise to Abraham and Sarai is the son of This promised covenant son will be a father to many nations and will be a blessing to all people. And to this point, Hagar in this story has been nothing more than a pawn in trying to accomplish that story for God by sinful men. And as she flees, mistreated and abused and alone, this is her burden. What about me? What about my child? And when God finally speaks to her and he finds her, he knows this burden Look in verse 9, the angel of the Lord says to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And look beginning in verse 12, the stunning promise of this covenant with Hagar and Ishmael. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. 
promise, a covenant, a shocking covenant. Here in the middle of these other more mainstream covenants, God makes this promise to this young foreign slave girl and her illegitimate child. God knows that burden. He knows Hagar. He knows her heart and he speaks to that burden. Here in this blessing, he speaks right to that burden. Now, there's this warning in here. How would you like this for a promise? You'll have this child. He'll father many nations, but he'll be a wild donkey of a man. And yes, that's what God says to her. Now, we could unravel all of this down to this present time and the tensions in the Middle East. We don't have time for that, nor is that the point of this text. God knows her burden. God knows her sorrow and he speaks directly to it and makes this promise for her and for her son and for her offspring after her. A remarkable blessing. Today, not only does God see you, but God knows the burden or the burdens that you carry. He knows the burden or the burdens that you brought in to the church today with. Not one of them is too small. Not one of them is too big for God to know or for God to care. Look over with me, if you will, at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, and hear the words of Jesus in all of our anxiety and our worry and our fretting. Listen to what Jesus says about our Father's care for us. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God Your heavenly father knows your need. He cares for your need. Down to what we eat and drink and what we wear. Let alone the big things or any of the quote unquote small things in our lives. Turn to Psalm 139. I want you to see something even more remarkable. Not only does God know your needs. And not only does God know things about you. But God knows you. God knows you personally and individually. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Look down at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. 
You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Do you hear what the psalmist says? God knows you. Maybe even more baffling is that God knew you from eternity past. He formed and crafted and created you intricately woven, the psalmist says, by God. And so not only is nothing about you unknown to God, but you yourself are not unknown to God. You are not invisible to him. You are known and you are visible and you are precious to him. Today, the burdens that you bring into this place, the, the weight, maybe the sin, the shame, the fear, the guilt that you bear, you can hide from everyone else and you might do it very well. Church folks are good at hiding burdens, physical, emotional, whatever they are. We're especially good at hiding those spiritual burdens because we want everyone else to think that we have it all together when we don't. You might do very well hiding it from everyone, but you can't hide it from God. And here's the thing. I grew up hearing that a lot about things you can't hide from God. And it was frightening to me as a child. And it's still a little frightening. Maybe it should be a little frightening. But more than it's frightening, it should be comforting. You can't hide anything from God, nor does he want you to hide anything from him. God's invitation to you, with whatever the burden is, whatever the load is, Matthew eleven twenty eight is the invitation. Come to me, all who are weary, tired, burdened with a heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. And you might say to yourself, but God doesn't know me. God doesn't want me like this. God won't have me with this in my life. Maybe you say, I'll come to God once I deal with this. This is something I run into asking people about faith in Christ or about baptism. And they say, I'll come when I'm ready. I need to make sure I'm ready. And there's some wisdom in that, don't get me wrong. But in terms of being ready to follow Christ and to obey him, coming to faith in him and then professing that faith in baptism is not some finish line that we have to get to before we're ready. It's the starting point. That's where we begin a profession of faith in Christ, and a pledge to follow him as Lord. That's where we start. An old gospel hymn says, all the fitness he requireth. In other words, all that it takes for you to come to Christ, all that he requires of you, the only fitness that you need to have to come to him is to know your need of him. And so he says, come with whatever burdens with whatever pain, with whatever sorrow, with whatever sin, his invitation to you is not to scold you or to ridicule, but to come and find rest, Jesus says. Find rest for your souls. Oh, what pain we often carry. What needless pain we bear. 
all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37, I will have all that the Father gives to me, and I will lose none of them. And he says this, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. You come to Christ with your sin. You come to Christ with your burden, your pain, whatever it is. I will never, Jesus says, cast them out. Another song says, enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A guilty soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. God knows you today. Number three, God hears. God hears. This is not the end of Hagar's story. It's not the end of Ishmael's story. Over in Genesis chapter 21, we find another similar story. So turn over there to Genesis 21 with me. Isaac, by this time, has been born. The child of promise. Abram and Sarai are now known as Abraham and Sarah. Sarah notices Ishmael laughing at Isaac. And it's interesting that just as Sarai had laughed when God made the promise to her, and just as they named Isaac laughter because they laughed at the Lord's promise, now we have this scene where Ishmael, this other child born to Abram and Hagar, is laughing at Isaac. But this laughter is one of derision, mocking and scorn and Sarai. Sarah wants Abraham to send Hagar away. She's come back, she's submitted once again, but now that Isaac is born, this drama has become too much. Ishmael is mocking Isaac, this isn't going to work out. Sarah wants uh, Abram to send uh, Hagar away, and God this time says, Abram, uh, Abraham, this is the wise thing to do. Listen to what your wife says and send Hagar away. God says, this is best. But in Genesis chapter 21, verse 13, he reminds Abraham of the promise he made to Hagar. Genesis 21, 13. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. Don't worry about Hagar, Abraham. I will take care of her and her offspring. In fact, I've made a similar promise to her that I've made to you. Because even though you messed this up and you tried to do this your own way, I'm going to bless her because of you. And in verses 15 through 21, we have a similar story. We find Hagar fleeing now with her newborn son Ishmael, fleeing into the desert, fleeing into the wilderness. The water is gone. Fear sets in. And she goes and puts the boy in the shade. After she goes and puts the boy in the shade, she goes a distance. And she goes away from the boy because she does not want to see him die. You can imagine the desperation and the pain. But look at verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And look in verse 18. He reminds her of the covenant. Up, Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. In verse 19, she opens her eyes, or God opens her eyes, and she sees a well of water. And she went and filled with skin the water and gave the boy a drink. And in verses 20 through 21, we see Ishmael grows up. She finds a wife for him, and the rest of the story is just as God has said it would be. 
In these times of rejection, by now repeated times of rejection in Hagar and now Ishmael's life, in these repeated times of running and struggling to survive, again, God saw and God knew. And in this instant, God heard and he cares for them every step of the way, faithful to fulfill his promises to Ishmael and to Hagar, even in this same circumstance yet again. And as you come to understand that God sees you and God knows your need, let this spur you on as it did for Hagar and Ishmael, although in times of stress there, let it spur you on to know that he knows you, know that he sees you, and then to bring your needs to him. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then you know this verse, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, bring all your cares to him. Cast, throw all your burdens and your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He knows, he sees, he hears And these sweet invitations should spur us on to the throne of God to bring our needs and our petitions and our wants, to be anxious in nothing, in the big things and the small things and everything in between, but to bring everything with thanksgiving to him, knowing that he hears us and that he loves us and that he will answer us according to our need and according to his plan. A God who sees, a God who knows, a God who hears Interesting that Ishmael's name means God hears. Charles Spurgeon said this. Prayerful man, prayerful woman, here is a consolation. God sees you. And if he can see you, he can surely hear you. Why? We can often hear people when we cannot see them. If God is so near to us, and if his voice is like the thunder, sure his ears are as good as his eyes, and he will be sure to answer us. Perhaps you cannot say a word when you pray. Never mind. God does not want to hear. He can tell what you mean even by seeing you. There, says the Lord, is a child of mine in prayer. He says not a word. But do you see that tear rolling down his cheek? Do you hear that sigh? Oh, mighty God, you can see both tear and sigh. You can read desire when desire has not clothed itself in words. The naked wish God can interpret. He needs us not light the candle of our desire with language. He can see the candle ere it is lit. When you don't have the words... You don't know what words to say. When the pain is too much, the grief is too heavy. And all that can come out is groans and sighs and tears. Spurgeon said, God doesn't need your light. He doesn't need you to light the the light of your desires with your words and your repetitions in prayer. He says he knows what the candle is. He knows what the light is. He knows what the need is even before the candle is lit. It's what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Spirit himself mediates, interprets 
for us. With groanings and utterings that are too deep for words. When we don't have the words. When all there is is groaning and sighing and crying. The Spirit himself mediates between us and God. And carries those prayers before the throne of God. Verse, seven, or verse 27 of Romans 8 says, He knows the will of God. You don't know the perfect will of God in every situation, but the Spirit does. How comforting then to know that even when you can't say the words, and even when you don't know what to pray or how to pray, the Spirit is praying constantly and perfectly according to the will of God. Groanings and utterings that are too deep for words. I love that when Hagar fled, running from everything, Feeling lost, feeling helpless, feeling invisible. God found her. Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. God found her. I love that when she fled again, running again, about to die, feeling abandoned, hopeless, and unheard. In chapter 21, verse 17, God heard her. When she couldn't find her way to God, he found her. When she couldn't express her fear to God, he heard her. When she was running and hiding and ready to die, he called her. When you think about it, isn't this what God has been doing from the beginning? Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. When our first parents had fallen into sin, plunged humanity and creation and the universe into darkness and death and the curse and the fall. As they're trying to clothe themselves and they're hiding from God and they're running away from this God who loves them and is calling for them. God comes in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 calling for Adam. Adam, where are you? In all the sin and all the darkness and all the brokenness, God comes to find them and to call them and to make this promise to them. A promise of deliverance and hope and the one who will crush the serpent's head. A promise that comes to us in the person of Jesus, our Savior, who in another wilderness, at another well, meets another woman, also running from everything else that she knew. Ashamed, scarred, misused, mistreated, abused, hurt, sullied, sinful, and wicked. And Jesus finds her there at the well. And he calls her there at the well. And he says in John chapter 4 verse 13, Listen, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting thirsty. Masking it in the language of this well, if you keep digging at this well, even if you get water, you're going to keep getting thirsty. If you keep doing what you're doing and you keep running from this God who loves you and wants to meet your need, you will keep being thirsty. But, verse 14, if you come to me and you believe in me, you will never thirst again. To Hagar, God found her in her shame and her guilt and her sin and her fear. Jesus sees this woman at the well and he knows her and he calls her. He hears her and in turn, he offers her himself. 
I don't know where you stand with God today. You might be in this room and you know you're an unbeliever. You know you're running from God. You know you've had opportunity after opportunity to profess faith in Christ, to repent of your sin and to come to him, and you've said no. Maybe here today you think you're a believer, but you are an unbeliever. And at some point, at some time, you walked an aisle, or you said a prayer, or you've even got baptized, and you said a thing and did a thing, but you're far from God. Because you've never trusted Christ, you're trusting yourself. You've never turned from yourself and your sin, you're still in them. Maybe here today you are a believer. Here's the good news about this good news. It's for everyone here today. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time. Hear this good news. You are not abandoned and you are not forsaken by God. But the other side of that good news is this. There was one who was. Listen to a portion of this prayer from a Puritan prayer book called The Valley of Vision. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. Cast off that I might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. Stripped that I might be clothed. Wounded that I might be healed, a thirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made ashamed that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept all tears so that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, bore a thorny crown that I might have a glorious diadem. Bowed his head that I might uplift mine. Experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. And closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. He died that I might forever live. You're not abandoned and forsaken by God. In our sin, that's where we deserve to be. But God abandoned his own son for us. He forsook his own son for us. He surrendered his own son to hell so that we might have heaven in him. And you can know today that in Christ, God sees and God knows and God hears. Because you as believers know and you as unbelievers can know that Christ found you. They might not be promises like what he made to Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac. But he has made a promise to you. Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 28. He's made a promise to you that all things will work together for the good of those that love him that are called according to his purpose. And we know in verse 29 what that good thing is. That you might be conformed into the image of Christ. And in verse 30, Paul says he will do it. If he foreknew you and predestined you, he called you. And if he called you, he will justify you. And if he's justified you, you are just as good as glorified. Whatever is going on today in your life, this promise is not forgotten. 
you are not forgotten. The storms may come. They may be coming right now. The winds might be howling. The waves might be crashing. And you might be crying out to him even right now. Do you not care? God, do you not know that I'm dying? Do you not see? Do you not know? Do you not hear? And his word today to you in Christ is this. Peace, be still. Do not be afraid. Where is your faith? Look to him like the disciples and ask, who then is this? What type of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. And you can confess today, he is the God who sees me. He is the God who knows me. He's the God who hears me. Have you answered his call? Have you come to him in faith? Are you running from him today? Unbelievers, the invitation to you is to come to Christ, to hear the warnings of the gospel, and to know the promise of the gospel. Unbelievers, to bring your sin and your filth before him and say, I cannot do this. You must do it for me. And through trust in him and his cross and his empty tomb, know the forgiveness of your sins in Christ. But believers today, don't think this is just for unbelievers. That invitation is for you every single day, every single moment. And the big things and the small things, the invitation is still for you, believers. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Maybe you need to know that rest today, believers. Bearing a heavy burden for yourself, for someone else, for a child, a parent, a spouse. Maybe it's an unknown burden, an unspoken burden that you've told no one of sin, desire, affections wickedness that you think is secret and you think is hidden from everyone else it's known to God you're not hiding it from him why not lay it out in front of him and say cleanse me search me and know me O God see if there's any wicked way in me this invitation is for you today believers as well our God we love you we thank you that in all of life's trials, storms, and all the burdens that we bear, you've given us a sufficient answer in the person and work of Christ. And today, for whatever burdens and pain we, we carry, if Christ is all we have, if Jesus is all there is, then he is still and evermore will be enough. Thank you for the gospel, the good news of a God who sees us and knows us and hears us and who loves us anyway, who gave us to his son from eternity past, who sent his son for us, 
and who speaks to us today who know you. Peace, peace, peace I leave with you. God, for unbelievers in the room today, confront their sin and their rebellion and their running. And by your Holy Spirit, subdue their wicked hearts. Bring them to faith in you even today as we pray. Only you can do it. You're the only one who can open eyes. You're the only one who can raise the dead. And God, we ask you boldly to do it for those that are listening or watching or here today that don't know you. Do it now. God, we give you all praise and all glory through Jesus Christ, the ever-sufficient Savior. And we find our all in him today and every day. It's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.